Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? I got five dollars. This is a run to the left. How many tackles can one man break? <laughs> You're saying that humans need fantasy to make life bearable. Humans need fantasy to be human. Ooh, my goodness. That was good. You guys are pros. The bats. Relentless, refusing to give up. All right, hit that horn, babe. Let's dance. Hello and welcome to the Fantasy Flex podcast presented by PrizePix. I'm your host, Samantha Perviti. Every Tuesday here on this podcast, I'll be joined by a luminary from the fantasy football community for a fast-paced round of 21 questions where we will discuss all things fantasy for this NFL season and so much more. On today's episode, I'm joined by the one and only Jeremy Layton, sports editor at the New York Post and sharp better slash fantasy football player, giving out all sorts of advice on the Post's Blue Rush and Gangs All Here podcasts, who you can find on Twitter at Jeremy Layton with a zero, pissing off a new fan base each week and all over the New York Post. Welcome to the Fantasy Flex podcast, Jeremy. How are you? I'm very glad to be here as one of those uh, luminous guests that's high praise. I'm always happy to come on your show as my original podcast host from last year. So I miss it. I miss it. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be doing a little more writing, a little more fantasy writing, a little more betting writing. Um, obviously, now that I'm like a full-time sports editor, that's going to take up a little bit more of my time. But I like, I'll like i always go on a podcast with someone, especially if you invite me. So like, <laughs> we, we got that uh, Deep Sleepers podcast 2020 chemistry going. All right, let us just hop right in with question one. What year did you start playing fantasy and did you win your first league? Well, I know I did not win, but I think it was 2010. Yeah, it sounds like 2010, I think is about, that was the year I really got into football. That was the year the Bears went to the NFC Championship game. Yeah, I know I didn't win. I think I had played fantasy baseball before that with my uncle when I was a little bit younger. But that was the year I really got into football. I remember I had Richard Mendenhall on my team. Kevin Cobb was my quarterback. That was kind of fun. I think he got benched for Michael Vick that year. 11 years to be playing fantasy. That's impressive. What are the best and worst parts about playing fantasy football for you? I kind of feel like the best is like when you're watching red zone or just a game on a Sunday, especially red zone, like when they cut to like a team that you have a player from and you're just kind of like perched in front of the TV, leaning at the end of your couch just to see if they score. Um, those are some of the most electric moments of the year, just at all, like in general, um, not to get too into it, but I just like last year, everybody was kind of having a hard time during the pandemic. And I just remember that I would just, I would just watch red zone for eight hours in a row. And I wouldn't think about anything else. It was just kind of like therapy for me. Um, and I, I absolutely love it. Uh, the worst thing is injuries, especially when like your top draft pick or your top one of your top three draft picks goes down in week two for the season. It's just kind of inevitable. And you can put all the research and analysis you want into a player, into a season, and you just kind of know that something could go wrong and just kind of throws that all away. Um, it's kind of why you have to have depth at every position when you're drafting, but it's just, you know, every year there's every week, even at this point, there's just a guy who gets hurt and just kind of a total bummer for everybody. 
just trying to explain what red zone is to people who don't watch football or even just don't care about fantasy. They're like, why don't you care about the game script of games? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe it's like the millennial in me or something like that, but it is so, so, so much fun to watch red zone all, all day long, pretty much on Sundays. So, so, so much fun. So jumping into actual fantasy stuff, we are going to kick it off with a quick segment called the burn book, which I'm sure listeners understand is a mean girl reference. Um, as fantasy managers, it is so easy to have recency bias, especially if a player has burned us either due to injuries or a bad season. So we are going to run through five players and I'd like you to briefly tell us how confident you are that these players will return on investment at their average draft positions or ADPs. Our first player is Joe Burrow. So his rookie campaign was devastatingly cut short by a knee injury and he finished his QB 23, averaging just under 18 points per game. I know he's a guy you were super, super high on last season. How comfortable do you feel drafting him as your QB one? And is he in your burn book? Not comfortable. He's definitely in my burn book this year. And look, I love the player. I think he could have a really long, really successful NFL career. Um, his fantasy relevance last year was because he was dropping back and throwing like 40 passes a game. Um, like the Bengals in general are the last franchise in the NFL, of NFL that I trust to do the smart thing. But I think they're at least going to like look at their team and realize that like they can't do that again in 2021 because it's what they're, they're it was their first overall pick. Got him killed. Um, offensive line was bad last year. It's still bad. I don't really care about adding like Billy Price or whatever. And they drafted Jamar Chase over an offensive tackle in the first round who has been dropping everything in the preseason. By the way, I'm not super worried about that either. Um, I think Jamar Chase is kind of getting a little bit of the burn book treatment, even though it's not necessarily like needed. And I kind of feel like we're hearing a lot of similar things about Justin Jefferson last year. Um, I think you can kind of capitalize on the discount on his part. But with Burrow, like, look, if they drop back and throw 40 times a game again, guess what? He's going to get injured again. And it sounds harsh, but like that's your investment is kind of ruined if that happens. I think either he's going to have less volume or more the same amount of volume is going to get him hurt again. And I'd rather have the QB 13 right now is his ADP. I'd rather have guys like Trevor Lawrence. Jalen Hurts is going a pick before him. Would way rather have him. The whole like, narrative around him this offseason has been the injury is still lingering. He hasn't been doing great at training camp. I know it got better as the training camp went along didn't play in the preseason. It's going to be like guys don't really show out their first year after a devastating knee injury like that. So it's just a guy that I don't think I'm going to have on any of my teams. I'm, I'm just not very high on him this year. That's tough. I know you were obviously super, super high on him last year, but it is a tough look coming off of a knee injury that didn't happen necessarily that early in the season. It's very short-sighted of them to not go after Sewell, in my opinion, um, though I'm obviously excited to see Chase. Um, so the next guy in this segment we're going to talk about is Chris Godwin. So last year, he was a little bit of a disappointment. He Failed to deliver at his lofty ADP. He finished his wide receiver 38, averaging 11.9 points per game, while his counterpart, Mike Evans, finished as wide receiver 9 at 13.8 points per game. I mean, of course, a lot of those games were like two yards, two catches, and two touchdowns. But, um, you know, is last year's performance enough to land Chris Godwin in your burn book? So I think it's kind of when you project these three receivers, what I kind of did was I went back and looked at whatever. It was like an 11 game stretch where all three of them were on the field together. That includes the playoffs. Um, obviously, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown when he got there and Godwin. And when you look at it, Godwin had the fewest yards per catch of those three. He was tied for the fewest touchdowns at the same amount as Brown. And this is when Brown like wasn't really like he was kind of just working his way into the offense. He kind of came in off the street and started playing with them. So I kind of feel like as he gets a little bit more reps with Brady and the offense, he's going to get more involved too. 
Mike Evans was easily the best of the three. They're kind of at a similar ADP right now, which feels weird to me. Like Chris, or sorry, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. That is um, Evans is wide receiver 11 on fantasy pros, average ADP. Godwin's 14 and Antonio Brown is 37, which is a huge difference between the two of them. Um, and I think you can get really similar production from Brown four or five rounds later. So I just Godwin is kind of near the top of my do not draft list. I saw him go in the third round of one of my leagues and I was just like, that's crazy. Um, and then even beyond the wide receivers, OJ Howard's coming back. You're adding Giovanni Bernard into the mix. Who's a great pass catcher, a lot of mouths to feed. And if you look at the receivers that are going around where Godwin is going, he kind of feels like he's the only guy who's not going to get a thousand yards. And so you're just kind of counting on a lot of catches, a lot of touchdowns and, with so many mouths to feed in this offense, it just doesn't seem like that's super realistic at this point. So yeah, Godwin burn book for sure. Uh, it's a tough look. I have been drafting him a little bit too much. I think recently, just because I'm not confident in Antonio Brown, just from a off field perspective, he's that's already fair. punching guys out. All right. The next guy we're going to talk about is literally like the poster child of the burn book. And it is David Johnson because men will literally draft David Johnson four years in a row before going to therapy. <laughs> Honestly, he finishes RB24 last season through 16 games. That's 13.1 points per game, but no one seems to want him this year. I'm kind of in that camp of like, let him be someone else's problem. But is he in your burn book forever now? Absolutely. Like if you draft anyone in the Texans within the top 100 picks, you're just asking to come in ninth place in your league. And especially the running backs. I mean, you got Mark Ingram there. You got Philip Lindsay there. Who's going to handle the lion's share of the carries? Who knows? Like, and David Johnson, for some reason, is still RB42, just because of the name brand, probably, um, maybe because of the fact that they traded for him last year. But Bill O'Brien is gone, mercifully. Um, and, like, RB42, that's in front of guys like Tony Pollard, who is top 12 upside if Zeke gets injured, God forbid. So, like, after a guy that you know is guaranteed kind of at least a close to a workhorse role, I'm only drafting running backs that have huge upside if, like, something happens, something shakes out their way, injuries, etc. And really, I mean... David Johnson has no ceiling and really no floor, honestly, because who knows? He could get like seven carries a game and average two yards a carry, and that wouldn't shock anybody. And this team is such a mess. You really have no idea what to expect. Um, The only guy I can consider drafting from the Texans is Brandon Cooks, and that's just basically pure volume because we know he's the only receiver worth anything on that team at this point. So, yeah, David Johnson, like not touching with a 10-foot pole. Fair enough. It sounds like you don't even need therapy at this point. <laughs> I, I haven't drafted him in a couple of years. I have no interest in it. So, All right. The next guy we're going to talk about is Clyde Edwards Elair. So here's a guy we collectively thought could disappoint at his average draft position last year. He was being drafted as high as fifth overall in redraft, which, you know, I think we both agreed was a little high. He ended up finishing as RB18, which isn't like the worst thing that could happen in a rookie campaign. Is there some post-hype sleeper appeal? Was one subpar rookie campaign enough to land CEH in your burn book? No, actually. It's funny because you and I were kind of at the forefront of the fade CEH movement last summer. It was like right when we started our podcast. I think we talked about it every episode. I'm mm-hmm. we were right. Between like uh, him and Josh Allen. So like, you know, well, we were, we got one of two, yeah. we were, we were halfway there. <laughs> Just, you know, 50%. It's not terrible. Totally. Um, but I mean, now that he's kind of sliding down board, I, mean, I don't know if sliding is the right term, but like he he's available in like late second early third round I think it's actually kind of a good time to remain contrarian kind of zig while there's zag because I still think there's a really nice buy low opportunity for him if you can get him at that point I mean if you look at the first six games of the season that was before Le'Veon Bell um, was signed by the Chiefs he was getting a work 
workhorse workload. He was getting about 18 carries a game, and he was averaging like 4.6, 4.7 yards per carry. So he was he was performing well. And the thing that wasn't happening was the touchdowns. He scored one touchdown in that span of six games, four rushing touchdowns total on the year. You think maybe that could regress positively. When you look at it, you do see he did get a good amount of goal line attempts, and he had 28 carries inside the 20 last year, 15 inside the 10. He just couldn't convert. Does that mean he's bad? I don't necessarily think so. I just think that, I mean, they made all these improvements on the offensive line. Maybe they get more push if they're trying to score rushing touchdowns on the goal line. I wouldn't be shocked if he scores seven or eight touchdowns while maintaining that pace that he had at the beginning of the uh, rookie campaign last year. Because Le'Veon Bell's gone. I'm not worried about Daryl Williams or Jarek McKinnon. Um, and if he catches passes at the rate that we kind of thought he was going to, he could end up smashing. He could be like a top five running back. I think he has the most upside out of any of the non top 10 top 12 running backs that you can kind of get I actually projected him as my rb11 so um i have a pretty uh enthusiastic projection on him i would probably say and i've gotten him in a couple leagues but um i i'm pretty i'm pretty ecstatic to get him if i can get him in the third round and even the late second i don't hate it either yeah i think it's this is definitely a case of zigging while other people are zagging type thing all right the last guy that we're going to talk about is noah fant so i keep hyping up fant breakout season and it's really a shame that he's been subjected to such subpar quarterback play now that's an excuse for a lot of guys but i I mean he's just ridiculous he's he's so athletic he has the talent of the pedigree but in the end Fant finished as tight end 13 last year, an average of eight points per game and half PPR. Is that just what we can expect from Fant, given that the quarterback situation isn't necessarily better? Or, you know, are you drafting him at his ADP of tight end seven? Yeah, so Fant is one of those guys that it's just kind of really difficult to predict at this point. I mean, conventional wisdom in the fantasy industry, I think, has kind of developed this year where it's kind of like a hive mind thing where if you don't get one of the top three tight ends, you're better off waiting until the final few rounds and taking a bunch of swings on, you know, the Cole Komets and Anthony Ferksers of the world. History shows that these middle guys don't necessarily pan out to the level that you're kind of expecting when you draft them. I don't know. The top three guys a couple of years ago was like Kelsey Kittle and Ertz. Ertz dropped out. Now it's Kelsey Kittle and Waller. And that like top three, that elite tier is going to, you know, it's going to change. Fant is as good of a bet as anyone other than like Kyle Pitts, who's obviously going to do that in a couple of years to kind of burst into that top tier. Look at last year, start off really hot, scored a touchdown in his first two games. Then he got hurt in that terrible game against the Jets on Thursday night football. And then the quarterback play was atrocious last year, but you know, it's a risk. And I, I see both sides of this one. All right, that will do it for the burn bug. Our next segment is called Full Send or That's Cap, which I assume I don't have to explain to you, but yeah. <laughs> um, which is sort of the opposite of the last one. I will give you I saw five... you had to explain it to Mike Clay. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> Poor Mike just did not know what cap is, but that's totally, that's just because I spend way too much time on TikTok. So anyway, I will give you five players whose ADPs have been on the rise this offseason. I want to know, are you sending it on this player or are you drafting them with high expectations or is that cap? So our first player is CD Lamb. So he is currently being drafted as wide receiver 12, four spots ahead of Amari Cooper. And that kind of flip-flops this offseason because Cooper's um, injury, it took him a while to come off the pup list and everything. So are you going full send on Lamb as the wide receiver one in this offense, or is that cap? I think I'm going like 90% full send on CD Lamb because he's a guy that's like, he's a little hard to project, like projects because you look at his track record. He had five games with Dak last year. He was a rookie. And that was at a point where Dak was on pace to throw like 7,000 yards, something ridiculous like that. But this is a guy though, where like, you just kind of have to buck the projection and look at the raw talent that he has. I thought he, I thought him and Judy were by far the best receivers to come out of the draft last year. 
Um, and if there's anyone due for a second year leap, now that he's had a full season training camp, now that he's had no COVID off season, he's had OTAs, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, Lamb is just as obvious as the choice, as a choice that you can possibly get. I mean, he's just so talented and this is such a high volume passing offense. And even though there are a lot of mouths to feed here, you got Mari Cooper's still there. Michael Gallup is going to vulture some touchdowns and get some, you know, deep balls. But even if he gets like an 18 to 20% target share, which it, that is high, but considering like, especially considering the weapons that are on the team, but it's reasonable. He's just going to smash because he's so good. He's, he can get open against anybody. And this is just one of the guys who just say like, screw the projections, look at the talent. Um, this is my guy. And I feel I have no problem taking him at the beginning of the third round, because I, I just feel like as long as he's on the field, he's going to be really productive and he's going to score touchdowns and he's just going to be an athletic freak, which is what he is. So I don't know. Yeah, I am with you on that like 90% send. Like I don't I think Cooper's definitely going to have value and I think he they could both return on investment at their ADPs, but I, I think Lamb is probably going to be the wide receiver one in this offense. All right, the next guy we were going to talk about is a super buzzy guy, Marquez Callaway. So this once pass heavy Saints offense is a shell of its former self without star wide out Michael Thomas, who is on the pup list, expected to miss probably eight games, who knows. Um Callaway is a 2020 undrafted free agent. He's currently being drafted as wide receiver 46. That's eight spots ahead of Traquan Smith. Is wide receiver 46 too early for this preseason phenom, or are you going full send? Yeah, so this is a guy I was much happier drafting in the 12th round when no one knew who he was. Then he had to (laughs) go on national TV and catch two touchdowns on Monday Night Football against Trevor Lawrence. And now everybody knows who he is, and you can't get him in the 12th round anymore. And I was going like the seventh round, which is where, like, that's where I start to get nervous. I mean, considering he has no real track record for success in the NFL, like Michael Thomas could, in theory, come back at some point. Mm -hmm. Maybe Jameis loses his starting job, which is a very Jameis thing to do. Um, And then the pass offense just kind of gets cut in half. But I mean, I don't know. You just really can't argue that he's probably going to be the main receiver in this offense. I just, I just don't want to reach for him. It's like a guy that if you see him slide a tiny bit, take him. That's, it's just, he's got guaranteed production. Next guy we're going to talk about is Justin Fields. So his ADP has skyrocketed since his very strong preseason showing. He's currently being drafted as QB 17. He was like in well into the 20s before the preseason. So are you sending it at his sort of inflated ADP or do you think that's cap? And I know you are a Bears fan. So give me your very biased Bears fan take on this. I will give you my unbiased take, which is that he's a stud. I, I like it's it's kind of insane to me that he's not starting right now but I also like so I understand the fear that he's not going to be ready week one you don't necessarily want him on your team he's gonna be playing by week three or four like we know what Andy Dalton is like Matt Nagy promise Andy Dalton the starting job he's gonna start one or two weeks he's gonna be mediocre to bad and they're gonna swake the switch because everybody knows Justin Fields is ready they know he's good And if you watch what he did as a passer and as a runner, it's kind of the perfect storm for fantasy because he's the type of dude who is a throw. Like he's not a running quarterback. He's a pocket quarterback. He can throw the ball down the field very accurately. He's good at reading defenses. He's quick through his progressions. He was making these crazy plays where he was like manipulating. He was doing really advanced things for a guy who's playing his first or second or third preseason game. He's manipulating defenses with his eyes. Like the guy can play, but also when his read isn't there, he takes off and runs and he runs fast and he runs efficiently and he ran at the goal line. He scored a goal line touchdown. I really don't think there's any situation where he doesn't become a top 12 quarterback once he's playing. And I really only think you have to wait maybe a, like a couple weeks for that to happen. I, one of the combinations I really like to take, I actually haven't done this yet. I don't know why it's my favorite thing. I haven't done it, but 
Jalen Hurts and then Justin Fields because Jalen Hurts could lose his job, but he's still a top like five guy if he's playing the entire season. Yeah. If he loses his job, or by the time that that happens, Justin Fields is probably playing. So it's a good combo. Um, I, I'm full send on Justin Fields, both from a fantasy perspective and from a just watching him play and just an NFL perspective. Yeah, it's really frustrating because there are a lot of people that will just say things about Fields without really knowing him. And they'll just say he's just a Russian quarterback and they compare him to maybe Cam Newton or something like that. And I think that that's not the correct analog. I think he has a lot of dimension to his game. And yeah, he has some maturing to do in this league, but I do think that Dalton is on a very short leash. So I am excited to see Justin Fields very soon. Um, the next guy we are going to talk about is Gus Edwards. Uh, Gus Foss was surprisingly productive last season as part of a three-man backfield, a very frustrating one. He is currently being drafted as RB32, which is actually not as high as he's going in most industry drafts now that Mark Ingram is off to Houston and J.K. Dobbins is unfortunately out for the year. Are you sending it on Edwards as a legit RB2 or is that cap? That's cap. Um, Gus Edwards is probably my biggest bust pick for the season. Um, and I know he's only going RB 30 right now, but it kind of seems like he's going higher than that in a lot of leagues mm-hmm. and people are kind of taking him the third, fourth round in some drafts. I've seen that happen. Maybe it's a little bit more like the public fantasy players doing that. But even if he's at RB 32, I just don't really have any interest because like, I think the assumption that's kind of circulating for him is that everybody assumes he's just going to add JK Dobbins role to his original role. But he's not J.K. Dobbins. He's a straight line runner. He doesn't have the elusiveness or lateral quickness to kind of like beat guys to the edge. He, he offers nothing in the passing game. He's caught 18 passes in three years. Now everybody's talking up this guy, Tyson Williams. And guess what? Their lead back isn't going to be either of those guys. It's going to be Lamar Jackson. So he's going to take away goal line carries. He's going to get a lot of the uh, carries, a lot of the yards. If you're in a PPR or half point PPR, just keep Gus Bus as far away from your team as possible. He's just not going to catch any balls. And even in standard, I think he needs to slide a few rounds before I'd feel comfortable taking him. Like this is the guy that Pete, like the, the kind of basic idea is that he's just going to have more opportunity. How do we know that? What if he has the same opportunity and someone else takes JK Dobbins role? There's two other guys, justice Hill and Tyson Williams are on the team. So I, I, I don't think they're going to make Gus Edwards into anything that he's not, which is a guy who's going to like pound the rock up the middle He's not, he doesn't have a huge playbook of plays that will like work for him. They're not going to add those to him. So I, it's just it's a guy that I just kind of feel very hesitant to take. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of bust potential. I feel like I was he was actually one of my sleepers. I feel like when J.K. Dobbins was healthy, I thought that he was going a little too late and I just thought he was going to have touchdown potential. Um, but yeah, now at his ADP that in our leagues, I feel like he's going as an RB2. I'm not willing to take that risk there. All right. The last guy in this segment we're going to talk about is Kyle Pitts. He is quite possibly my favorite rookie of this year's class, but we know the history with first year tight ends. He's currently being drafted as tight end four ahead of Mark Andrews and TJ Hawkinson and a half PPR. Can he break the curse of the rookie tight ends or is this kind of cap? I don't know. Like this is the hardest player to predict in all fantasy, in my opinion. I mean, like people like to talk about, you know, drafting players at their floor instead of their ceiling. Kyle Pitts is not a guy you're going to be able to get at his floor. He's a guy you have mm-hmm. to draft at his ceiling or else you're just not getting him. And his ceiling is basically having the greatest rookie tight end <laughs> season in history. We all know how rookie tight ends never have success. There's been one 1000 yard, rookie tight end in NFL history. Do you know who it is? It's uh, it's Mike Ditka. So <laughs> like the only rookie tight end above 700 yards since 2002 was Evan Engram in 2017. Like mm-hmm. yikes on that one. I mean, like guys like Jason Witten, Jimmy Graham, Rob Gronkowski didn't do it. But at the same time, I mean, we've all heard how Pitts is not 
just any tight end. He's the highest drafted player at the position in league history. He's he's kind of not really a tight end. That's a thing. He's, he's really not. He's not good at blocking like the the traits that I feel like he's really good at. And, you know, it, his skill set just doesn't seem to necessarily align with the tight end position other than the fact that he's just like an oversized receiver. So yeah, I, yeah. I totally agree. Right. If you're drafting the fourth or fifth round, you kind of have to think about it as like a rookie receiver. So like what rookie receivers are going in that range this year? None. And you can argue that he's better than all those guys. But at the same time, like, I don't know. It, it just seems like it's going to take a little while for him to kind of be the guy that we're like, he's going to be the tight end one in a, in a year or two. Like we know that um, I, I can say that with like pretty extreme confidence. He's probably going to be a guy that's not going to be on any of my teams just because I'm a little nervous about like, again, you're drafting that is at your ceiling at his ceiling if you're drafting him. So yeah. It, but like, again, I feel like I'm going to feel stupid. Fair enough. Yeah. He's only on one of my teams and it's Scott Fishbowl where it is a tight end premium. So you get one and a half points per reception for tight ends. So I felt comfortable taking him at 401. Next up here on the Fantasy Flex is a new segment we call Elite Entries, where we will dive into the Prize Picks app. And for any listeners unfamiliar with Prize Picks, it's just a super simple way to play DFS. Prize Picks offers a bunch of fantasy and prop markets, both for daily and season long, like Zeke Elliott rushing yards this season or Josh Allen's week one fantasy score. You choose the picks you like and you build your entry. You can go with two, three, four, or even five picks, and your payout is based on how big your lineup is and how much you risk. For example, let's say you choose two props. You go under on Zeke rushing yards and over on Allen's fantasy points. And let's say you choose $25 for your entry fee. If both hit, you win three times your entry fee, $75, boom, just like that. And if you build your entry with four props, you can win as much as 10 times your entry fee. So like I said, really simple. I'll identify some markets I like, you build your own prize picks entries, and all of us have a little fun and make some money. Today, I'm going to look at three NFL week one quarterback plays on prize picks. The first play I like is Matt Ryan over 278 and a half passing yards at home against the Eagles. Honestly, I think we have to have a talk about Matt Ryan and this Falcons offense. Yes, the team lost star receiver Julio Jones in a very awkward public fallout, but they still have Calvin Ridley and a consensus top four receiver and tight end phenom Kyle Pitts, who despite being a rookie is being drafted as an elite tight end and should be a target monster this year. Meanwhile, Ryan is consistently being faded and is only being drafted as QB 14. Make it make sense. The Falcons ranked fifth in passing yards per game last season, and I don't expect that to change much given their defensive shortcomings and weapons. I expect Matty Ice to come out swinging against a middle-of-the-road Eagles pass defense and go over 278.5 passing yards. The next one I like is Justin Herbert under 21 fantasy points on the road in Washington. I am not nearly as down on Herbert season long as many people in the fantasy community are who are predicting a regression for the year two signal caller. That said, I do expect him to struggle on the road against Washington's top-notch secondary and pass rush. The football team ranked second in passing yards allowed and fifth in sacks per game last year. The total for this game is also 44.5, which means Vegas expects it to be on the lower scoring side. Give me the under on Herbert's week one fantasy points. And finally, I like Zach Wilson to go under 17.5 fantasy points on the road against the Panthers. It'll be Wilson's rookie debut against his predecessor, Sam Darnold, and opposite a stronger coaching staff and upgraded Panthers defensive line that could prove problematic against a Jets O-line, which ranked 24th in the league in sacks allowed last year. 
Wilson has received lofty freight praise this offseason, including from Tony Romo, who compared Wilson to Patrick Mahomes last week. It's a stretch, but maybe he has that potential down the line. I'm just not sure that I'm willing to bet on him in week one on the road in Carolina. Books also expect this one to be on the lower scoring side with a total of 45 points. I am taking the under 17 and a half fantasy points for Wilson in week one. All right. So that's our elite entry for today. Going with Matt Ryan over 270 and a half passing yards at home against the Eagles. Justin Herbert under 21 fantasy points in Washington and Zach Wilson to go under 17 and a half fantasy points on the road against the Panthers. As a reminder, you can mix and match fantasy points and player props to make your lineups super spicy. If you haven't created a prize picks account yet, check out the link in our episode description because prize picks has a special offer for fantasy flex listeners. They will match your first deposit up to $100. Just click the link in our episode description or visit prizepicks.com and use promo code action 10. All right, let's keep it moving here on 21 questions. All right, Jeremy, we've got eight more rapid fire questions and we will get you back to playing your Nintendo Switch. So question 13 is you are into analytics and projections, but even us nerds can get emotional about players and name one player you just can't quit or you make excuses for every season. For me, that is obviously Joe Mixon. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, I've, so Odell Beckham is definitely one for me um, and I'm doing it again this year. I've already drafted him at least twice. He's so times. low though. So I, I feel like you can make excuses for him. Right. And like... There was like his first year in, in Cleveland, it was a total shit show. <laughs> and the second year, like you, I saw like a really interesting video, Brett Coleman, the guy that I really trust when it comes to like film study, he was talking about how like they just, him and Baker Mayfield were not on the same page. The offense was just kind of a little bit scattershot. It was like, as to be expected, it was a COVID off season the routes and like the receivers were not on the same page as Baker. And it kind of clicked a little bit more as the season went along. So I have no like no reason to think that they can't just plug Odell back into that offense and him and Baker will kind of finally be on the same page. And I think this whole thing about the offense being worse with Baker or with Odell on the field is a total crock. It makes no sense. I think that's just a false correlation right there. No, absolutely. So like, but last year I drafted him a couple of times the year before I drafted him a lot. Like it's, it's a guy that like, you know, you've seen it when he was younger, he was just an absolute monster. You know, he has the ability eventually it's going to, He's going to get back to it, I think. Um, but I don't know. I think he's low enough to the point where it's like not a concern that you're still like can't quit him. But I'm, I'm once again going back down the well. And I think this is the year that's finally going to pay off. Fair enough. Odell season. I love it. So I know you're a Bears fan. Everyone knows you're a Bears fan. Predict what year the Bears will win their next Super Bowl. 2022. 2022. I love it. I am so excited about Justin Fields. So I totally get that. And that leads us into our next question. And you kind of alluded to it, but tell me when Justin Fields will start for the Bears. So I tweeted this. I think there's three possibilities. Um, I actually, the way I tweeted, I ranked them by probability of the, like the times he could come in. I actually going to change up the rank. I think the most likely scenario for him is week four. Because mm-hmm. like Dalton starts week one, they get crushed by the Rams. He's on the hot seat. Then he plays the Bengals, his old team. He wins. He gets one more game and they put the Browns and the Browns crush the Bears. And then it's time for Justin Fields. I don't think week three is a necessarily logical starting point for Fields because I think if Dalton is still in the game, is still starting, he'll be able to beat the Bengals. It's like the, he beat the Bengals last year. He did play very well against them. The second most likely is just week two after he craps the bed against the Rams, um, which is going to happen. We all know it. Like that's going to be the worst Sunday night football game ever. Um, I'm going to watch it and just be, have my hand in my palms the entire, I tweeted yesterday. I was like, 
I'm very prepared for next Sunday to be the worst day in Bears Twitter history. And then the third I mean, most likely is the middle of that game. Like if it's 24 to three at the half, <laughs> Matt Nagy's had a quick hook in the past. He pulled Mitch Trubisky in the second half of the Atlanta game last year from Nick Foles. So like, I think he, he's giving Andy Dalton the job because he promised that when they signed him, they didn't know Justin Fields was going to be available. Things change. So I don't think the job is going to be his for very long. And like, if, if Justin Fields is not starting by week four, something has gone very, very wrong in the process. All right. Well, speaking of great quarterbacks, was Joe Flacco ever elite? Yes or no? No, he wasn't elite. What are we, ta- what are we doing here? Come on. <laughs> Just have to throw in some fun questions. All right. Um, sure. Will David Montgomery finish as a top 12 running back this season, especially with Tariq Cohen looking like his rehab's not going correctly and he may not be ready for week one or maybe even more than that? Yeah. So all the reports coming out of Bears camp has been that he's gotten faster. And that was kind of like the one thing that he didn't really have in his repertoire. He was this always elusive guy, an elite tackle breaker, one of the best tackle breakers in the NFL. Um, he's powerful. He like made something out of nothing, but he didn't really have that like burst, that breakaway speed. We saw it like a little bit towards the end of the year last year. And I mean, all the reports are saying that he just looks like he's gained a step in the offseason. He's gotten faster. I'm not worried about Tariq Cohen. I am worried about Damian Williams and Khalil Herbert, the guy they drafted this like this past year. He's shown a good amount in the preseason. Williams is a Super Bowl hero. Like the guy can play. I don't think he's going to have like the reason. David Montgomery was RB4 last year was because there was no one else. Like Cordero Patterson was the only one who was threatening him for touches in the backfield. Mm-hmm. There was no other running back on this team. So I don't think he's necessarily going to have a top five finish again, but I would not be shocked at all if he ends up being like RB11, RB12. And I'm taking him in the third round if he's available for sure. Yeah, he's a, he's another guy that I feel like people are like, ooh, do not touch just because everyone's been talking about a regression. And yeah, I don't predict he's going to finish as RB4, but RB12 is totally within the realm of possibilities, especially without Cohen. So I'm excited about him. All right. Give me one player who you think is primed for a big fantasy season next year. Can be a rookie or Kyle Pitts. (laughs) Love it. All right. So we know you are quite the athlete, but how many times do you think it would take you to make an extra point? Oh God. A lot, a lot. <laughs> what about a 43 yard field goal? No, I'm just saying. So <laughs> if I was in Chicago, like, you know, after the, um, the double doink, they had a thing in, uh, somewhere in Chicago where they brought people out to kick a 43 yard field goal, like a hundred something people tried and none of them hit it. I can see that. Yeah. Last two questions. Are you bull or bear on zero RB as a viable draft strategy? So I'm more like anchor RB in the first round and then, don't take one for a while. I don't think zero RB is a viable strategy. Like if, if you're playing with like competitive guys, like I just don't think it's going to work because you need, you need production out of your running back position. Unless it's like a one running back league or something in situations where it's like a three wide receiver plus a flex and a PPR. That's where I think it's more realistic because I mean, you can get a guy like JD McKissick, James white, who will give you some value every week because they're just going to catch a ton of passes. But if you're in a standard league, I just think, I don't know. I think you're just trying to be too cute. I think you got to take a running back on the first couple rounds because like, it's very rare. Like James, uh, James Robinson, David Montgomery were kind of the examples last year, but they're really the only guys that came out of like the top two or three rounds that actually gave you week to week starting viability. And it's just, I don't, I, I, I don't think it's, I, I appreciate it. I understand why people do it, but unless the kind of circumstances align perfectly, and especially if you have like a top six pick, you got to take a running back. Like I just, I think every year it's, it's just proves to be the, the case. And like, sometimes guys get injured and you get screwed over. It happened last year a lot, but 
that's the way the work that's the, them's the breaks. It definitely feels like if you're early, you, you cannot go zero RB. I did do a league where I'm not going to name names, but someone did take Tyreek Hill at number three overall in a half PPR league, which to me, like you're passing up Alvin Kamara at that point, And it yeah, just doesn't make sense. So He's my wide receiver three this year, I have Calvin Ridley ranked higher oh, than wow. him. So wow. That is spicy. And where do you have Stefan Diggs? Fourth. Four. Okay. Gotcha. Well, finally, if you had one cardinal rule to tell someone just getting into fantasy this year, what would it be? If you're just like, if you're playing fantasy for fun, don't take it too seriously. Like most people, like I'm kind of a nut job. I, I play in like six <laughs> leagues and they're all for money. And I'm, I'm like, I kind of stress myself out about it a little bit, but yeah, last year, I it, think you said something like, I don't want to play in any leagues that are less than a hundred dollars buy-in. And yeah, you, we do have to remember it's not everyone's playing like that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and but like to a certain extent, like you're going to stress yourself out. If you like overthink your first round pick, like draft the guys you want to watch draft, like draft your guys, especially in redraft. Like if you think Jerry Judy is going to have a huge year, take him in the fifth round. I think that I've done that a couple of times. Deontay Johnson, same thing. I really love Javante Williams. I don't really care that he's not going to necessarily have a starter's workload for the first few weeks, but he's a guy that I just want on my team. And I think he's going to produce. So like there's so much literature, there's so many podcasts, there's so many articles you can absorb about like different strategies. Like just don't overwhelm yourself with it too much. Just kind of play your game the way you want it to want to play your game and just, you know, like have fun. It's the best part about, as we talked about, the best part about fantasy football is watching the games on Sunday with your friends and, you know, having a couple beers, be able to talk a little bit of shit to your friends. And that's just what I do it for. And no matter how much money is on the line, that's kind of what it's all about. So that's, I just like, don't stress yourself out about it too much or else it does become fun. Have fun is the best, most important Cardinal rule of fantasy football for me too. All right. That'll do it for this round of 21 questions with our guest, Jeremy Layton of the New York post. Jeremy, I can't thank you enough for joining me during this insanely busy time. Please tell everyone where they can find you this NFL season. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I've again, always will come on the show. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jeremy Layton instead of a zero, instead of a O, there's a zero. So it's J E R E M Y L A Y T zero N. Uh, you can read me at the New York Post and you can listen to the gangs all here and Blue Rush podcast of the New York Post, um, Giants and Jets podcast. I'm going to be doing like five minute segments on betting, fantasy, DFS, love betting, love DFS. So if, you, if, you, if you're looking for like that kind of content on Twitter, definitely follow me because I'll definitely post my plays every week. Um, as long as you guys don't steal them, I'll, I'm going <laughs> to lose money. Uh, but, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do it, of course. Awesome. Thank you again. And as a reminder, Sean Kerner and Chris Raybon are here on the Fantasy Flex every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, giving you guys all the DFS, waiver wire, and rankings info to help you dominate your fantasy leagues. I will be back this Thursday and every Thursday moving on with my mailbag episode. Speaking of which, you should email any mailbag questions to mailbag at actionnetwork.com. Thank you again for listening. Please rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts. Download us wherever you like to listen, and we will see you next time on the Fantasy Flags presented by Prize Picks. Peace out, y'all.